You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. On today's episode of Water Flying, Steve and I are talking with Chuck Whiplinger, CEO of Whip Air, the renowned float manufacturer that celebrated their 60th anniversary this year. Yeah, they're, they're also on the cover of uh, the November-December issue of Water Flying Magazine. It's a really good-looking cover. It is a good-looking cover with that 182. Yeah. So kind of some interesting backstory for me. Before I came back to Florida to teach in seaplanes, to teach in J3 Cubs, I had the opportunity to fly Cessna Caravans on the Whipline 8750 floats. So really some massive floats. And you have to appreciate the detail that goes into these things. I mean, aluminum and steel and just good pieces of equipment. I don't know how much steel's in there. I mean, they got the keel. Okay. (laughs) Oh, come on. It works. It's the aluminum and steel. So, Chuck, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Thank you, uh, Abby. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here talking with you guys. Well, it's great to have you on, and I thank you. Uh, so it's, you know, Whip Air has been a family business for a long time. I, I kind of consider myself a remote part of the family business. Uh, Chuck, can you give us some history about the this amazing company that your family uh, is responsible for? Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of history there. And uh, just to try and, and give you a brief summary of it. Uh, my grandfather started the business back in, in 1960. He had just sold a, another business that converted Lockheed Lodestars and surplus military aircraft into uh, business planes back in the day. And after selling that uh, company, he had a, a, a personal interest in seaplanes. He used seaplanes to fly the pilots of these aircraft around and entertain them while their airplanes were being worked on. And uh, he he actually wanted to be an Edo float dealer at the time, and, and Edo was a bit busy with other uh, priorities in their business and, and kind of said, no, thank you. Uh, our focus is elsewhere. And my grandpa being the engineer and the tinker and the, and the hands-on kind of engineer that he was, uh, went into start building his own floats. And, uh, from there, um, uh, just went from there. Uh, dad started getting involved in the business, uh, not too many years after it was founded and uh, started, gro- kept on growing it and uh, creating new float models and putting them on new airplanes. And here we are today, 60 years later, I'm the third generation. Uh, apparently, I'm the generation that's supposed to screw it up, trying not to, <laughs> knock on wood. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see what tomorrow brings in the next 60 years. That's a lot of pressure. What You're the generation that's supposed to screw it up? Family businesses, it's uh, there's an old cliche that says it's the third generation that always tears it down. And, Are you and serious? Kind of yeah. I have never heard that before. Yeah, usually the third generation sells it off, though, so don't sell it off. Yeah, Chuck, <laughs> I'm watching you here. So, you know, that was, you know, what a, what a uh, I guess, maybe a misstep by Edo, huh? Uh. <laughs> it, it could be. Um, but I mean, it, it is, uh, it's a great business. It's a fun, it's very much a niche business, uh, but it's very fun. Um, and obviously Edo still exists today, but they're, they're a much different company than, uh, than float planes for sure. Yeah. So did, was your, 
grandfather flying these guys up to one of your cabins? I know your family has cabins up in, in Minnesota. Uh, for those people that haven't flown seaplanes in Minnesota. Me. Uh, yeah, okay. You're talking to me too, Steve. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's kind of amazing that the company is where it is because, I mean, you're in like just God's country for seaplanes up there. Yeah, Minnesota land of 10,000 lakes, and uh, I know we have a few more than that. And a lot of them, uh, very few restrictions on where you can land in Minnesota, too. Uh, just a few key areas you got to watch out for. Yeah. That's great. Just a real playground. So after yep. your dad stepped down as CEO, you've taken over as CEO of Whiplinger, as a, of, excuse me, Whip Air. <laughs> it's the Whiplinger, and then the Whip Air, and then the Whip Line floats. That always gets me. <laughs> so, Chuck, what is your role right now in the company? So I'm officially uh, CEO and president, and uh, boss is Brady Kid. Uh, is the third generation. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and honestly, it, it, so titles are a funny thing in a family business. Um, you, they they're not always super accurate. Um, I, I like to say that we had been working. I'd been working, kind of doing just what I'm doing today for for a while. You know, building a leadership team and building the company up and 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 just changing the way we do things and, and trying to get it to run better and smoother and support our customers better and everything else uh and and we kind of formalize that that structure finally i like to say uh and dad dad's much more he likes the engineering side of things he's a tinkerer uh he, he likes to uh go make things mechanical things work and, and play with airplanes so uh we've been kind of working this way for a while and i think it's just a, a more formal recognition of, of what was going on anyways to be honest with you so i don't so mean the, to get too personal here or anything and certainly you know stop me but how do you how do you feel like you fit in to this role where it's it's already kind of been defined? You know, how do you feel like how much I don't want to say movement, how much freedom do you feel like you have to like change things up for a company that's been so successful for 60 years? Well, and you know, enough that that uh, and I do change things slowly over time, but there's you got to be careful what you change as well right. cuz um there there's a lot of uh uh, culture here that that is very good and very solid, and you don't want to ruin, and you can ruin that real quickly if you change too much too fast. So, and, and you know, there's quite frankly, there's that list of things that I know in the back of my mind I can't touch, and I'm not going to be allowed to touch, and I just don't right. touch them and and work around them. Dad still has an <laughs> office in the building, actually, right across from yours. <laughs> he he still shows up here every day, and uh, he he's involved in many ways. He, like I said, he loves engineering, he loves that uh, development stuff, so. And uh, just you know, he 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 kind of treats it like the, his hobby, and that's what it uh, in many ways is to him his entire life. You know, it's a hobby; it's a it's his livelihood. It it is him. So it's, you don't you don't just kick him to the corner and, and get rid of him. That that doesn't happen, and, and we don't want that to happen. Of course, of course. <laughs> what a great way to have a career that that ends up being your hobby after so many years. Like you yeah. built up this business. I mean, you took it over from your dad whip did from ben and then chuck took it over from whip and then just have it have it move to your son i think that's just it's really a that's really pretty neat well um, it's even business his dad's passed down a super cub that was his dad's cub that didn't use solo in it well so so that was a different cub but yeah i mean we have a, a number of nostalgic airplanes in the family here my my dad has a habit of collecting them and uh, of course uh, the cub I have is the one I learned to fly in, and I don't know how long he's had that cub, but 
he he must have um five or six cubs in different states some of them flying some of them not <laughs> around here so but the one the one particular one that i have is the one i soloed in uh and uh we'll here before too many more years we'll start teaching the the first kid here how to fly yeah and you so. did that right as early as you could what what how did uh yep. what was your time frame for starting to fly uh Close to, let's see here, I, I was just before I turned 16, I started learning to fly, soloed on my 16th birthday, went and got my driver's license that afternoon, so I flew by myself before I ever drove by myself, <laughs> and um, and uh, and then uh, it, was, it wasn't right on my 17th birthday, but shortly after my 17th, or sometime after my 17th birthday, within, within the year, I got my private uh, pilot's license in seaplane rating. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty so cool. And I think that that's in 96. 96. There you have it. So I think that's really important just to establish that the leadership of the world's largest float manufacturer, which I think we failed to say so far, I think you guys really uh, deserve credit for being the largest float manufacturer in the world. But I, I just, you know, this, this roots between your grandfather, your father, who soloed very early as well, and then you, I, I think it's so important to establish and for people to know that that's literally the lineage within the company. Yeah, You're bringing tears a, to Abby's eyes here. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, just, it's a, really nice because my dad, you know, we he's passed on a clip wing cub to me. And so it's just, it's cool to see that other families have this where it, it is something where generations want to continue moving it through. I'm not crying, Steve. I just, wanted, I just wanted to make that really clear to everyone. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine, Steve. So I've flown on the um, on the caravans on the 8750s. Those are just nice floats. Um, the cover that we have for water flying right now is the 182. And so, can you kind of take us through that story, Chuck? Of how 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 did that become the cover? What is it about that 182 that made it the cover of this magazine? Um. You know, I guess it became the cover of that magazine because that's the picture of the airplane or the airplane we took the picture in front of. Um, oh gosh! <laughs> so much for building up that no. story, Abby. Yeah, really, yeah. real no, literal no, no, vibe no. here, Chuck. Thanks. But but it's a great it's a great airplane and it's a great story. So that particular one eighty two, of course, is one of our our one eighty twos that we build up where we uh, we do a number of different things to them. Uh, including raising the gross. Of course, you put the floats underneath it, the 3,000 amphibious floats, and then we put a, a 580 Lycoming engine in it and uh, uh, get that horsepower in it that, that makes it such a great performer. And we also do a lot of work uh, increasing the gross weight. And so it, it turned into a, a really, really nice uh, float plane. And not that you'll ever replace a, a 185, but I think it's about as good as you're going to do for because uh, 185s, of course, are getting very hard to find nice ones and that that are, are you can work with and, and turn them into really nice airplanes. They, they're just getting further and fewer between. Uh, so I, I think this is about as good as we could to to do something, come up with something equivalent that that performs and is comfortable and and can haul. Yeah, and I I have to say I am like so jealous because I know Mark has flown the Boss 182. I actually have not flown a Boss 182 yet, and uh, I'm dying to get my hands on one. And it seems like every time you and I or I'm near one of those airplanes, we're working because it's a, a trade show or an aviation event. So uh, I, I have to pull out of here and, and get some time to fly them. 
But I think another thing that's important to really point out is you guys are really much more than a float manufacturer. You have a full interior shop. You guys are doing avionics. You've got a paint shop. Uh, I mean, you're really a full service, multifunction operation. Yeah, give us an idea of what the um, what the actual what your setup looks like because you can see a picture in the magazine. It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> I mean, the complex. I couldn't think That's, of the word. So, give us an idea yeah. of what that complex is like. So, yeah, as the business has grown over the years, of course, we started off in the floats with Grandpa back in the '60s, and as my dad got involved and, and started taking over the business in the uh, '70s and, and then definitely into the '80s. We started adding uh, some aircraft sales. Uh, you know, Cessna, of course, shut down production on the single pistons. Um, we decided, or Dad decided, very wisely so that if I'm going to keep selling floats, I got to put it under airplanes and sell an airplane too. So we started getting into aircraft sales, and uh, and and then uh, the maintenance aspect of it as well. So tur- got a Part 145 repair station. Uh, which turned into an avionics shop as well as a paint shop and an interior upholstery shop. Because uh, a lot of times people would want to get other stuff done to their airplanes while they were getting their floats put on. So today uh, we are just that. We are a, a, a Part 145 repair station. We have uh, all those same four services, maintenance, paint, avionics, interiors. We've got a great bench capability in our avionics shop. Uh, we've got some very uh, uh, great craftsmen in our interior shop. And, uh, of course, as time goes on and we're doing all these STCs on, on float planes, putting floats under these airplanes, we're also doing um, different modifications to, to aircraft as well to make them a better seaplane overall. So it doesn't stop at just putting the floats on. Um, so which means we've, we've done STC interiors, we've done engine conversions, gross weight increases, you know, so on and so forth. And it, over the years, the, the buildings to... How is all this stuff in have multiplied as well and grown with as the company's grown? So you're right. We do have a, a pretty good complex here at South St. Paul Airport in, uh, in Minnesota. And uh, it's a it's a great tour if people ever come through. It is. And, it really uh, is. Want to look around. We're happy to show it off. Uh, so, Can we go, Steve? Actually, we were supposed to be there for our uh, Seaplane Pilots Association member meeting this year. And as part of the meeting, we were going to work in a factory tour. And uh, because of COVID, we had to cancel it. So uh, we'll be looking forward to rescheduling that because that's a trip we really want to do. And having been through the factory several times, it it really is very illuminating. So, you know, I I think one of the things I want to touch on with you guys in particular is the fact that there's a perception that seaplanes are purely recreational aircraft and it's just a bunch of rich guys flying these airplanes and everything else. But I know you guys have built super cubs for U.S. Fish and Wildlife. You've been very active uh, with things like the the Fire Boss. And so talk to me a little bit about the role that that you've been able to work with where the seaplanes that you're delivering to people are actually helping the environment, or helping the non-flying public a little bit. Sure, uh, and yeah, you're right. There, there's always that recreational aspect of seaplane flying, but there's also uh, a, a different part of it, the world that world that people don't really recognize. And, and a big one you touched on is uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife uses seaplanes for uh, surveys, wildlife surveys. And so over the years, uh, the, us and actually some of the other manufacturers have supported them in that role. Um, so that they can go out and do uh, different wildlife surveys and biological type work and studies, uh, uh, you know, 
everything from counting ducks to uh, just tons of different um, wildlife all over the, uh, the continent here, up through Canada, down through Mexico. Um, the, the amount of hours and the places these these folks are flying are unbelievable, uh, particularly up in Alaska too. And then there's also the uh, the firefighting side, which has um, really gotten a lot of attention with our recent um, wildfires that we've been having. So we've developed a product that puts a set of floats under an 802, an air tractor, and turns it into a scooping water bomber. So it's not uncommon to use uh, an air, like an air tractor 802 as a seat, a single engine aerial tanker on a fire. Uh, we've modified it by putting the floats under it so that you can scoop from a local, uh, local water body and, uh, be that much more effective at fighting and efficient at fighting wildfires. And that's been a, a very successful product and uh, is not only uh, well adopted over here in the U S but also over in, uh, Europe. Yeah. I think they've been using them a lot in Australia as well, uh, recently. Awesome. Yep, Australia's gotten a number of them and uh, starting to see some activity down in South America as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, uh, very nice. So, um, Whip mentions in the magazine this idea that Whip Air, you know, I think what has made you guys really successful as a manufacturer is the fact that you're constantly trying to stay ahead of this market, this demand that people have for these planes. So, like you said, you know, people, they wanted the planes that the floats were going to be put on. And so, whip got into aircraft sales i think it's just that idea that you're always staying ahead of the curve so what do you think you guys are working or what are you guys working on now to try to keep that going to stay ahead of the curve oh so we're we've got a obviously a full engineering department here that's always working on all kinds of new stuff and uh so one of the things that we haven't talked a lot about that's uh coming up uh is so transport canada recently issued a um ad of sorts that uh, for the door that interferes with the flap on the back of the aircraft. Uh, they're, they're worried about egress, and they've seen some problems with egress in emergency situations. Is that on and the 206? So that's on the 206, yep. yep. And so they they are requiring uh, either you can't use the back seats or you got to find some other uh, alternative method of compliance uh, called an AMOC sometimes. And so we have a product uh, well underway for that, and it, it's going to be the uh, – I. It will be the most uh, uh, appealing solution and practical solution and also probably the most cost-effective compared to what's out there right now. So look for announcements on that coming soon. Uh, that's going to be a great product. And we're always working on product improvements and, and updates. And, uh, you know, obviously we just talked about the Fireboss. We're working on some updates to that as well. Uh, and, you know, just all kinds of uh all, there's almost always something in the works whether or not they always get done is another problem uh sometimes you start down these paths and and you just for whatever reason things change and they never get there and um and so you put it aside and you go work on the next one i'm so, sure that adapting to you know the market and the demand and everything and if the project falls through but yep. you guys are working you're getting into the composite game now so what is that like yeah, that's uh, that's been an educational process, for to say the least. Uh, yes, we are getting into the composites game. It's the world's worst kept secret. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to make any promises or guarantees when we're going to be done with something, you guys. And everyone's heard me say that. Uh, but yes, we we are working on it, and it, it is it's exciting. It's going to be cool. 
Yeah. Nice. And and this fire boss, I mean, they keep putting bigger engines in the fire boss. Are you increasing the uh, water capacity or the drop capacity? But it seems like they keep increasing the uh, horsepower on it. Yeah. And so we're up to, we start, when we introduced that product, it was at, uh, uh, I think it was 13 or 1400 horse and we're up to 1600 horse. And uh, over the years uh, we've gotten there and it right. 1600 horse makes it a really great airplane very effective um and uh it right now we don't have a lot of options to go any higher unfortunately so yeah uh, it is what it is for now but i i want people to realize you know for anyone that's flown a seaplane on step um the difference in that airplane when you're picking up literally two tons of water in the hopper um, it really takes a, a special pilot with some uh, finesse. Yeah, it. So having I haven't scooped in one for a, a number of years now. I I actually want to try and get out in it this uh, sometime over the winter here and go fly it some more. But it it takes a little bit of experience and practice. But once you get it down, it's it's not. It's pretty straightforward. It's uh, mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like anything else that you do in seaplane flying. Once you learn the mechanical move, you need to counter it and be ready for it. it it's pretty straightforward. Um, and it's really, it's like anything that, that we do as seaplane flying. Uh, it's being cognizant of all the, uh, the environment around you and what's going on in combination with trying to do that. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like you're at a, an airport where you are in a controlled environment. You're scooping out of a lake with, who knows what under the water and who knows what boat coming from where and or moose swimming across the lake or uh, everything else. So it's, it's really, it, it, the, the finesse comes in and, and the, uh, the pilot's ability to just manage that, all that. Yeah, that's something, you know, I also want to just let everyone know that's listening, you know, how proactive you guys have been in the community um, I'm so proud that you've literally joined our board, and not only did you join the board of directors of the Seaplane Associate Pilots Association, but you've become extremely active in it, and you're co-chairing a manufacturer safety group uh, with me right now. Yes, and uh, you know I'm I'm happy to help out, and it's been a lot of fun to help out. And uh, it, you know this this group that we're working together with is I'm really excited for what they're doing. And, uh, uh, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a great, uh, a great product for helping people remember and manage their, their amphibious gear positions, which of course is our first topic on it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, uh, if you wanted me to talk about that that much today, but, um, I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be good. And, uh, I'm very excited to see the, the momentum and the energy behind it with the, uh, some of the other manufacturers that are participating and, uh, uh, just a great group of people with, uh, and you'll see a great result from it. Yeah, I think I think it's important for people to realize that the association is working with the manufacturers, and we are working on behalf of the seaplane community. And so, you and I had the discussion first, and we expanded the group to include literally all of the significant manufacturers, all the float manufacturers in the United States are currently on the group. And then we've got uh, Progressive Aerodyne and Super Petrol and Icon on there as well, as well as some of the regional uh, Seaplane Pilots Association groups as well. So um, I think people need to know that, 
you know, what we're doing with your membership dollars and what we're doing to represent the community is we are addressing issues like this. And then you uh, also went out uh, to Las Vegas with me and we were literally did the certification process to become government level decontaminator inspectors for invasive species, which is one of our single biggest threats to water access in the United States. Yeah, and that was an absolutely great uh, educational experience for me in particular, uh, not having been around that. And I, I'm not much of a boater in my, my life, but uh, it was very interesting to go out there and learn about the invasive species and how they look for them and how they can hitch a ride on different things. And so now every time I'm driving down the highway and I see a boat going by with a piece of seaweed hanging off, I uh, the red flag goes up and uh, I, I just stop short of trying to issue them a citation, but <laughs> it was, it, it's a, it's a great, I would recommend that anyone that gets the opportunity to do something like that, it, it's a great opportunity and, and allows you to be a great advocate for uh, stewardship and in, in seaplane flying. Yeah. Stop pulling people over. You have seaweed <laughs> on your boat. You need to stop. I like Pull it. Over. The, the, the seaplane pilots are the ones doing that. And, and here we're getting all the blame. Chuck and I have been working uh, in particular with U.S. Fish and Wildlife on invasive species quite a bit on a national panel as well. And again, um, if you're not familiar with flying seaplanes, our, one of our single greatest threats to access today is uh, the invasive species issue and the, the concerns that the resource managers have on this. That's just fantastic. And seeing that, you know, an organization, a company like Whipair is really being proactive and taking charge because, you know, you're not just sending these float planes out there. You really you're taking an active part in where they go and what they're doing to to the seaplane community. I just think that's fantastic. So what can we expect to see from you guys in the future? I know that you're doing so much. You're you're entering this role as CEO, taking over for your dad. What can we expect to see from the future for you? Well, that's a really interesting question, and, and I think you're going to see a lot from us in the future. Um, I, I talked about one of the products coming up. You're going to continue to see uh, new products roll out over the years, obviously. Um, the the company uh, has grown significantly, and, and uh, with uh, with uh, I, I've hired a professional leadership team, and I think you, I'm hoping you'll see better service, better support. Uh, you're going to see some announcements on international service and support in the next few months or next, well, it's about over the next uh, six months for sure. Um, I, you know, we're working with SPA on this uh, uh, gear management and the safety group is, I think you're going to see a lot of good things coming from that. Um, and, you know, it, it's uh, just gearing up for the next 60 years, honestly. Uh, I, I hope that you'll see, um, all kinds of, of new airplanes on floats and, and hopefully see a, a, a interest in increasing interest in seaplanes over time. I think it's a very unique and, and fun sport. And uh, I don't even know, well, maybe it shouldn't even be called a sport, but <laughs> it's definitely uh, it, it's definitely a lot of fun. And there's, you know, it's not all drones are cool and all that stuff, but uh, you, I'll, I'll argue that you can have way more fun in a seaplane than you can with a drone. So I'll second you on that. Abby? All third. Okay, there All you third. go. We, we have a quorum. Uh, we'll consider it a uh, solved issue. Uh, seaplanes are now officially declared more fun than a drone or any other kind of flying. Oh, you're going to get flack for that. <laughs> oh. I know I am. And, I you know, I, gotta, I work with a lot of the, uh, with the drone and the, and the, uh, mo- the uh, air mobility people. And, and they're great folks and they got great products. And it's a very interesting part of aviation. 
Um, and, and it's very exciting, but I just don't think it's going to be as much fun as flying a seaplane. There you go. To each their own. <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, you can go play with your little plastic toys. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chuck, I just want to congratulate you, your family, your entire team on uh, celebrating your 60th anniversary. It is a honor and a pleasure to work with you, not only in the seaplane community, but as a board member on the Seaplane Pilots Association and your proactivity is incredible. I'm glad we were able to tell some of the story um, on the cover of, of the current issue of the magazine. And uh, I just look forward to having you back. I know it's hard to get you on these things, uh, but you're a lot better than, than you think. And, and again, we just really appreciate everything you do for the community. Yeah, well, uh, thank you, Steve. And I'll turn around and pass the accolades on to... Uh to my dad and the entire staff here at Whip Air because I've had about the least to do with them as anyone. I'm, I'm just the, uh, the young, the young kid taking over here that probably hardly knows what he's doing. So, uh, a big thank you to all our employees and, uh, and everyone else and to you guys for everything you do for the community. Uh, it's, it's great to be working with you guys and, and to see everything that you're doing and, and, uh, thank you very much. Okay. Awesome. Me. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events, not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.